Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the expression that you have established here on earth to be your hands and your feet in our earth. Lord God, I just pray today that we would be encouraged and challenged to continue to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Who knows what happened this week? What was, what signif, what was that? Oh, I don't want to talk about footy. Yes, Port won. Get it out of your system. It was NADOC week. Yes. Anyone know what NADOC week represents? What's that, Jackson? Yep, that's right. So we celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture in NADOC week. And uh, as we acknowledge, you see out in the poll out the front, we acknowledge that we meet on Ghana land today. And uh, we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. And, but NADOC week, its history is really interesting because NADOC week began, or its, its roots began back in the 1930s. And there was a group of Aboriginal Christians led by a man called William Cooper who, who decided that they had had enough about the poor treatment of Aboriginals in Australia at that time and they wanted to do something about it. So they established something called the Australian Aborigines League. And one of the first things they did is they established a day of mourning that they encouraged all churches to be a part of because for them the colonization of Australia was a difficult day for them. And they wanted to, but they also wanted to raise the plight of the Aboriginal people here in Australia, which was far worse back then than it is now, which I'll talk about in just a bit. But William Cooper was driven by this desire and a revelation that he had had that all human beings are created in the image of God and that every human being deserves to be treated with value and respect because of that, no matter their colour, their gender or anything else, that each one of us are created in the image of God and therefore have value. Now, these Aboriginal Christians were pioneers. They pioneered uh, and brought attention to the plight of Aboriginal people at the time. And they understood who they were in Christ but they were also determined to overcome the obstacles life had dealt them. Now you have to understand, back in the 1930s in Australia, Aboriginals had no rights. They weren't even recognised in our constitution and the only place they were recognised was under flora and fauna. Do you understand what that means? That they were only considered equivalent to plants and animals. This, is the, this was what our constitution said. It discriminated against them very strongly. And, and so they couldn't make a decision for themselves. Many of them lived on what they called missions or reserves back then. And the governments appointed a protector, they called them, to basically make all their decisions. They couldn't marry without permission from the protector. They couldn't leave the reserve without permission from the protector. They had no rights of their own. And these people who had found Christ on, on the missions had discovered that they weren't flora or fauna, but they were created in the image of God. That some missionaries went there and taught them the truth. 
And the amazing thing is they said, we need to do something about this. We need to raise this cause. And so throughout the history of NADOC Week, Christians and the church have played a significant role. And today I want to highlight one of those Aboriginal leaders who was there in 1935 on the day of mourning. And I hope his story will challenge us and encourage us in our role as overcomers in Christ, but also as our role as messengers of reconciliation to our country, to our world, to people no matter who they are or what they have done. And so this man started from very humble beginnings, but he made a really significant contribution, not just to First Nations people, but also to the Church of Australia, but also to the nation of Australia. And this, this man, when I read his story, he reminds me of the little boy in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's a story that God's been really encouraging me with lately, but the fact that this little boy brought all that he had to Jesus. He just had five loaves and two fish, but he knew the little that he had in the hands of Jesus could do much. And so he gave what he had to Jesus, and Jesus did a miracle. And in the same way, this man didn't have much, but he gave what he had to Jesus, and Jesus did something amazing. This man's name is Doug Nichols, or as, as we have come to know him these days as Pastor Sir Douglas Nichols. He was a lifelong fighter against injustice, a tigerous advocate for the Aboriginal people and a man of peace and compassion. It's really interesting. He went on to become one of the very first Indigenous justices of the peace. He also became the first Indigenous Father of the Year, Australian Father of the Year. He, he also became the first Indigenous person who was ever knighted by the Queen. And finally, he was the first Indigenous person ever to be a governor in Australia. He was the governor of South Australia in the 1970s. Now, we know him today because the AFL have named their Indigenous round after him as a, as a way of not making him a legend of the AFL, which he is. But instead, they went for the soft option and said, name, let's name a round after him. But we should keep uh, challenging them to make him a legend because... His contribution to society and football is amazing. But, um, but I believe in his life we can get an insight to what God can do with a life given to him. And so today I want to tell you his story. Is that all right? So Pastor Sir Douglas Nichols, as he became known, was born on December 9, 1906 on the Kamaragunja mission in New South Wales, which is on Yorta Yorta land or Yorta Yorta country. So he was a Yorta Yorta man. His mother worked as a domestic helper and his father as a farmhand. So here's a picture of, I might move to the side because I've got some photos for you. This is Kamaragunja church. Um, and I don't, he's somewhere in that photo you can't see. Oh, sorry. I'll have to go up the back. Um, is that better, Steve? Yeah, okay. Just for you. 
Now, as a way to supplement the government rations, so everything people on mission, were they were rationed food, they were rationed money, everything was measured out to them. And Doug and other mission children, they actually would go out into the bush and collect tiger snakes, brown snakes, copperhead snakes. Anyone know how poisonous these snakes are? They, they would collect them for sideshow organisers who would pay them 10 shillings per snake. It's a way that they would try to raise money. And when he was eight, sadly, Douglas saw his 16-year-old sister, Hilda, forcibly removed from his family by the police. The government had decided she would be sent to the Kudamundra training home for girls and Doug never forgot the trauma this created for him and his family. She was, no, no questions asked. She was just, one night, she was just taken by the police against anyone's will and forced to go into this training home for girls. At 13, Doug worked with his uncle as a tar boy and a general hand on a sheep station. He lived with the Shearers, he's 13 years of age, remember, and he worked hard and had a cheerful disposition. This annoyed one of the Shearers so much that he challenged Doug to a fight. With the loser to hand over one week's pay. After six rounds, the Shearer who challenged him conceded defeat. He's 13. In the later years, Nichols actually travelled the country with Jimmy Sharman's boxing troupe, if anyone remembers that back in the day. Yeah, some country folk here. Are you that old, Steve? (laughs) And uh, members of the public would challenge a member of the troupe to a bout. Now in 1927, this is when Doug was 21 years old, a football talent scout was travelling the area and he encouraged Doug to shift to Melbourne and try out for the Victorian Football League to play for Carlton. When he arrived in Melbourne, he had nowhere to stay, so he slept in empty fruit boxes at Victoria Market. Now consider this, who would have ever known that within half a century, within 50 years, this boy that was sleeping in fruit boxes at Victoria Market would then be sleeping in Government House in South Australia. Doug was a natural athlete with speed to burn, which made him a gifted Aussie rules footballer. At Carlton, club officials allowed him to train, but the players did not want an Aboriginal playing on their team. He overheard some of the players saying that he smelled. So Doug chose to play for VFA team Northcote instead. And then in 1932, Doug joined Fitzroy football team, who are now the Brisbane Lions, where he remained until ongoing knee problems forced him to retire in 1939. There's a photo of Doug in his Fitzroy Guernsey. Pretty handsome young fella. Harry High Pants. It's a... But uh, in 1934, he came third in the Brownlow Medal, third. And in 1935, he was the first Aboriginal player to represent the Big V. He was selected for the Victorian interstate team. Now, in 1932, 
His mother, Florence Nichols, came to visit Doug during his playing days at Fitzroy in Melbourne. Now, she said she didn't like Melbourne. She actually said to Doug, too many white faces and not enough trees. But when Florence was there, she wanted a hesitant Doug to come to a Church of Christ service with her. Now, after the service, uh, they met with Pastor Doug Saunders and sadly, not long after this time, uh, Florence passed away. And when, with Florence's passing, it actually drew Doug back to the church. And he was baptised on July 31st, 1932. And Pastor Dick Saunders made a special effort to disciple and encourage the young man. Now, Doug had not received any education beyond third grade of primary school. But he, listen to this. But the church in that time was, reigning, was running a training class for young men. So Doug readily joined in. His whole attitude to life had changed. He now wanted to learn and improve himself and to be useful to Jesus Christ and the church. So he... Attending the classes once a week was not enough for Doug. So four times a week he attended the manse, the pastor's home, while the minister gave him private tuition. His writing, reading, learning and speaking skills rapidly improved. One of his favourite verses in the Bible was, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto, unto, unto salvation. Doug was not afraid or ashamed to proclaim his faith. He became a speaker at many youth rallies, church services and church sporting parades. He, he was Christian in his behaviour and in his speech, even in the most of difficult of circumstances. One day the whole Fitzroy football team, so think of this, an AFL football team, the equivalent back in those days. So uh, on one occasion, the whole Fitzroy football team became so impressed with Doug's sincerity and consistency of life that they supported him wholeheartedly. Doug organised team church parades and every single player would attend, filling the church to full capacity. Because once the people knew that the footy players were going to be there, they all showed up as well. So in 1935, he was conducting church and hymn services as a lay preacher at the Gore Street Mission Centre in Fitzroy. Now, in 1941, he received his call-up notice because World War II was happening and he joined the 29th Battalion. This is incredible because in 1942, at the request of the Fitzroy police, Doug was released from his unit to assist with problems in the Fitzroy Aboriginal community. So he had such a standing in that community that the local police like, organised and advocated for him not to go to war and fight for his country, but they needed him at home to help with problems with Aboriginal people. It's incredible. Doug was released from his unit to assist with those problems. This commenced his career as a social justice worker 
He cared for those who were trapped in their alcohol abuse, gambling and other social problems. He helped those who were in trouble with the police. Indigenous people gathered to him and eventually the group was so large that he became the pastor of the first Aboriginal Church of Christ in Australia. Here's the building. And if you see on there, it says Churches of Christ Aboriginal Aborigines Mission. Lord's Day meeting, 7 p.m. Young People's Meeting, Wednesday, 7.30. Minister, Pastor Doug Nichols and, and his address. Now, his association with football actually continued as well at this time. And in 1944, with the VFA in recess, Nichols arranged for an Aboriginal football team to play an exhibition match against Northcott. Several thousand football staff supporters came to the match, with proceeds of that match going to the Aboriginal welfare funds. The success of the match saw the exhibition repeated in later years. Now at this stage, people began to notice what Doug was doing and began to approach him about the plight of his people throughout the country. To combat the problem of Aboriginal homelessness, Nichols led an effort to purchase the All Saints Church Vicarage in Cunningham Street, Northcott. Nichols helped form a committee which became the Aborigines Advancement League to help raise funds for the purchase. The large home was converted into a hostel for Aboriginal girls opening in 1958 and in 1962 a similar hostel for boys was opened across the road and then in 1967 the Doug Douglas Nichols Centre was opened adjoining the original hostel and this centre contained recreational and meeting facilities. Then in 1957 Nichols was appointed the field officer for the Aborigines Advancement League. He edited the AAL's journal Smoke Signals and helped draw, ab draw attention to Aboriginal issues with government officials and also the general public. So here he is um, raising issues, whether it was protesting or holding rallies. But the middle picture, that's actually him with the then Prime Minister, Harold Holt. And they were meeting together to discuss issues. Now in 1957, the AAL, the Australian Aborigines League, uh, Doug and a group of Aboriginal leaders at the time launched a petition campaign for a referendum to amend the constitution to remove the discri discriminatory clauses. So this is in 1957, he and a group of Aboriginal leaders went, got a petition together to go to the government to remove those clauses around flora and fauna. Although the campaign failed to sway the Menzies government at the time, it did succeed in drawing together like-minded activists from around the country. Then in 1962, it launched a new petition which again failed to move the Menzies government despite attracting approximately 100,000 signatories, which Doug worked tirelessly to get using his sports, sporting celebrity status. Now, there's, there's situations where he would sit outside of football games with this petition to get people to sign it. And he would do that week after week after week. 
Uh, but these, these, these petitions were actually the precursor for what we know now as the 1967 referendum that successfully had Aboriginals included in the Constitution and the Census. So you have to understand the 1967 re referendum was when Australia said yes to changes to our Constitution. Now that referendum, referendum was the, has been the most successful referendum ever, over 90% voted yes and in that referendum we have to understand that until that referendum happened Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were not included in the census so you have to think about that we didn't even know how many Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people there were in our country they weren't considered important enough to know that so if you don't know how many there are how can you provide help to those people how can you provide services that will address their needs if you don't even consider them? Because we know the census happens so they can build hospitals and so forth and other things. And so we didn't even consider that they were important enough to include in the census. And also the 1967 referendum changed section, section 51 of the Constitution to allow the Parliament to make laws of peace, order and good government for all Australians, where previously Aboriginal people had been specifically excluded from this group. So a, there are major changes, and, and Doug Nichols was a major part of this. He was the pioneer who began that process. In 1962, he was chosen by the Father's Day Council of Australia as Victoria's Father of the Year. The award was given to him for outstanding leadership in youth and welfare work and for the inspired example he set the community in his unfailing efforts to further the cause of the Australian Aborigine. In 1968, he received the Order of the British Empire, an OBE. And in the same year, he became a member of the new Ministry of Aboriginal Affairs in Victoria. Now, he became a member of this group because he was raising the, the, the rights of Aboriginal people, he actually resigned from it not long after because of the decisions they were making. And he didn't agree with what they were making. And so he actually resigned. He was a man of conviction. He, he didn't just take that role as like, oh, I've got this important role. He, when something needed to be said, he acted on it really strongly. Um, he was also the inaugural chairman of the National Aboriginal Sports Foundation. He met the Pope at an ecumenical conference held in Melbourne and was among Victoria's invited guests to greet the Queen on her visit in 1970 to Australia. So he even got to meet good old Queen Liz. So. In 1972, he became the first Aboriginal person to be knighted and he and his wife Gladys travelled to London to receive that honour. Then on December 1st, 1976, do you remember? It was uh, 1926 when he went to, 1927 when he went to Melbourne. In 1976, Sir Doug Nichols was appointed as the 28th Governor of South Australia. In 1977, sadly, he suffered a severe stroke and was forced to retire. He did not regain good health and often and was often in and out of hospital. He died in 1988 after another stroke. 
A state funeral was held for him and he was buried in a cemetery at Kamaragunja, the place he was born. Throughout his career as a crusader for Aboriginal rights, the Doug Nichols approach was for acceptance and reconciliation. One of his most famous quotes was, you can play a tune on black keys and you can play a tune on white keys, but both are needed for perfect harmony. In another sermon that he preached, he said this, I want to suggest three things why you should bother about the Aborigines. Firstly, we belong to the great family of God. And he had made out of one blood all nations of men. Secondly, why should you bother about the Aborigines? We're part of the great British Commonwealth of Nations. And thirdly, we want to walk with you. We don't wish to walk alone. Pastor Sir Douglas Nichols belonged to a racial minority. That minority was amongst the poorest in Australia. And he was uneducated until later in life. The only thing he had was a sporting talent. But one day he's discovered a God who loved him. And even better than that, he discovered a God who created him equally and loved him as much as everyone else. With this knowledge, he now knew that his lot in life didn't define him, but rather who he was in Christ was what defined him. And in Christ, he could overcome any obstacle that life threw at him. The incredible thing is Doug also found a church that loved him in just the same way. In those early days, that church that ran training classes for men who were uneducated, that pastor who would meet with him many nights of the week to help him be educated. With that, Doug was able to put his life in God's hands and the rest is history. His life and his work literally changed the future of Australia. Some people would go as far as to say that the 1967 referendum would not have been possible if it wasn't for the work of Douglas Nichols. The truth is anything is possible when we put our lives into God's hands. God is the great power that can change lives no matter where they're from. And I know in this room many of you can testify to that, that your life is totally different because God is a part of it. The truth is you don't need a lot of talent, but you do need a heart that is moved by the need of those around you. Douglas Nichols simply believed. And because of his faith, and his desire to serve God, he understood that all people deserve to be treated equally and be given a fair go. God used him to make a difference. And my challenge to us today is, I believe that God can do it again. And us, for us as a church, are we willing to believe God can do it again in our community? 
Every Wednesday night, we open our doors to our community. And how many Doug Nichols are amongst them? That if we could introduce them to Christ, let them know that they are valued and they are important, they are created in his image, and that God can do something with their lives. Anything is possible. One of Doug's children said the quote she always remembered from her dad that he told her was, if you dream it, you can achieve it. Church, my challenge to us today and the reason I wanted to share Doug Nichols' story was to encourage us, to encourage us that God is in the business of changing lives. He doesn't, he, he doesn't determine or, or say if you're from this social background or from this um, race of people that, oh, no, I'm not interested in you. He is interested in everyone. And he is in the business of changing and transforming people's lives. And I want to encourage us again that we as a church have a part to play in that. Like the church that Doug Nichols walked into, would we open our doors and open our hearts to everyone that walks through the door? Would we see the potential within every person and reach out to them and show them God's love and introduce them to a God who loves them and cares for them? I want to encourage us and challenge us on this day to remind us ourselves again that we are a part of the solution. We have an opportunity, just as God has changed our lives, we have an opportunity to introduce others to a God who can change their lives. And I just pray that Doug Nichols' life would inspire you and encourage you and motivate you to do it again, to keep doing it, to keep reaching out, to keep loving everyone the same to keep opening your hearts to those around you to keep being willing to introduce people to the love of God and to Jesus himself let's pray Lord God you establish your church the body of Christ to be your representation here on earth and there are so many lives in our community, around us, who are doing it tough, that need to know about a God who loves them, a God who was willing to give his all for them. And God, I just pray for us as a church that you would challenge us afresh to open our hearts to our community, to see in people the potential of a Doug Nichols, lives transformed and changed. God, I just pray that you'd help us as a church to be your hands and feet to our community. In Jesus' name, amen.